All right, you may be seated. Good morning. Well, happy Independence Day to everybody. Praise God for the freedom that we have to be able to gather uh, to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May we not take that for granted. This is a, this is a gift, gift of God's grace to be able to openly gather uh, in the name of Christ. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to thank you just for your kindness and your goodness, your grace and your mercy. Lord, I, I speak for all of us. We surely don't deserve it. God, we are sinners before a holy God. But yet, God, you are gracious to save, to forgive. You sent your son, Jesus, to rescue your people from their sin. That we could be made new. We could have an eternal relationship, God, with you. For that, we are grateful this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather in your name and to hear your word preached. So, Father, I pray that you would help me just to preach what your word says. And, Father, we do thank you for our country Lord, we know we fall short in so many ways. We've sinned against you in so many ways. But God, you've been merciful. You've been kind through hundreds of years now to provide us with this land, to provide us as believers the freedoms that we have, the opportunity that we have to worship. So we do thank you for our forefathers uh, that went before us. And Father, we pray for our country today and our leaders. God, do a work in our midst that only you can do. And Father, now as we come before your word once again, we need you, Father. Speak, convict, exhort, transform our hearts and our lives, Father, for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. Go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41 is where we will be today. The message today is simply entitled, Faith Over Fear. Faith Over Fear. You know, as we've journeyed through the Gospel of Mark so far... Let's refresh ourselves. When you go back to Mark 1.1, we understand that this gospel is about uh, us understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of Man. Fully God, fully man. He's the Messiah. He's the Chosen One. He is the Savior. And we've seen the power of God revealed in and through His Son, Jesus. We've seen Jesus heal the lame man, his power over 
you know, physical shortcomings or disabilities. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen Jesus teach with a power and authority that no one else could ever teach with because he is God. And we could go on and on of things that we've looked at. And today, we are going to see the power of Jesus over nature, over his creation. As you, we understand this morning that Jesus is the creator. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. You don't have to turn there, but all things were made by him and for him and through him. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. By the way, you couldn't even sit in your seat this morning if it wasn't for the grace of God. Of him fearfully and wonderfully making you in a way that we have the ability to sit. The ability to be able to listen today. These are all gifts of God's grace. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe... Let me say that again. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. When you look around and you see the trees and you see the sky, and at nighttime we see the stars and just the infiniteness of our universe, we need to understand Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. Young people, hear me say, this is why evolution is so destructive. It's such a lie to say that there's no God, to say that there's no creator. It's an attack on the character of God. That is what evolution is, and that is what, unfortunately, our young people are fed day after day in our public school system. It's sad. Sad. It's not true. The Word of God is true. Jesus is the Creator. My goal, my aim this morning is that you will see by the end of this passage yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Yes, Jesus, you are Master. Yes, Jesus, you are the Creator. You are God. You know, when we think about all these things about Jesus, believer, be encouraged this morning. All of these miracles that we've seen and when we see Jesus' power over nature today, it's, it's, a, it's a glimpse, it's a taste of the kingdom to come. As bad as things have been at times in our country, and they are right now, God is sovereign. God is in control. And Jesus is coming back to make all things right. John MacArthur put it this way. When Jesus healed diseases and he restored broken bodies, he previewed the kingdom in which there will be no sickness, no deformity. When he cast out demons and raised the dead, he previewed the kingdom in which there would be no more demonic activity and no more death. Jesus is coming to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And when we see his character in this passage today, you're just getting a glimpse of how awesome, how wonderful, 
our Lord and Savior is. Yes, we live in a sinful world, but Jesus has defeated sin already on the cross. And three days later, he resurrected. And when you trust in him and you turn from your sin, you are forgiven of your sin. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Again, choosing faith over fear. Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, the first truth I want you to see this morning is Jesus is a missionary. Jesus is a missionary. And you may wonder, all right, why would you say that, Pastor Eric? Look back at verse 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. You see, Jesus had been teaching all day there in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds had pressed in, and we've talked about this. But yet Jesus didn't come just for that one particular crowd. He says, let us go over to the other side. And we're going to see next week there was a, a divine appointment awaiting. There was a demon-possessed man that needed salvation, that needed forgiveness, that Jesus was going to grant to that man. And I want you to go back to Mark chapter 1, 38 and 39. And when we think about Jesus going to the other side and he's taking the disciples to the other side, this isn't the first time that we see Jesus on the move. Jesus with a mission. Look at Mark 1, 38 and 39. It says, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, Jesus didn't come just for one certain people group. And when you look around the semicircle of people today, there are different people groups that are represented, different family backgrounds. God has, is, and will save a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
That's our God. The gospel is for all nations. This is why Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all tribes. And so when we see Jesus going to the other side, Jesus is a missionary. Our God is a missionary God, Pastor Jim. That's why we focus on missions is because our God focuses on missions. Look at verse 36 back in chapter 4. So they're going to go to the other side. Verse 36, they leave the crowd because Jesus wasn't about popularity. It wasn't about having a massive crowd. So they leave the crowd and they took him with them in the boat. So probably the boat that he had been standing on and preaching from, they go. And look at what it says, just as he was. He doesn't go get something to eat. He doesn't go get a shower, which I feel like right now I could use a shower because I'm already drenched in just a few minutes of being up here. But Jesus doesn't take the time uh, to get freshened up a little bit. He's on the move, and he's going to the other side just as he was. And other boats were with him. So there was the boat with Jesus and probably the twelve. And then you had these other followers, these other disciples. And so you got kind of this brigade of, of boats that are going to be going across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. I'll never forget, Luke and Jamie were helping with a vacation Bible school we were doing Jim and Kathy, and I think they had little pennies, and they were talking about one cent. But instead of talking about a penny, one who is sent by God. You know, that's what a missionary is. You're sent by the Lord to take the good news to the ends of the earth, the good news of Christ. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, was the passage that Luke and Jamie used at that vacation Bible school, and it's always stuck with me. Here's what it says. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Praise God. Aren't you glad that God sent Christ to rescue us from our sin? Because if he wouldn't have initiated, if he wouldn't have done that, we would all die in our sin and spend eternity separated from God in hell suffering God's wrath and judgment for our sin. Now, when we think about Jesus being a missionary, what has he called us to be? Missionaries. He's the head. We're the body. Everglades Baptist Church. We are always to be on mission. Every tribe, tongue, and nation right here in Okeechobee County, in the state of Florida, in the United States, North America, all over the world. So, Pastor Jim, again, thank you for leading us to continue to pray and to seek God's face and to do what God's called us to do. Jesus is a missionary. Now, let's go to the second truth from the passage. So, back to Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus on the move, on a mission. The second truth we're going to see is that Jesus is a man. 
Dear Rachel, as we were singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Think about that. Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. He understands whatever it is you might be going through right now. And I want you to see that in this passage. Look at verses 37 and 38 there in Mark 4. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And by the way, when I was listening to different sermons and studying this, wrestling through the text, this wasn't just a little afternoon thunderstorm. Think tropical storm. Think hurricane. Think Elsa, okay, we got another one on the move. This would have been a massive, major storm. So this windstorm arises. The waves are breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, okay? That means the boat was sinking. So I don't know if you've ever been out to sea. I've shared with you my deep sea fishing experience. I really don't want to do it again because it was a day when it was stormy and we were rocking. And there was some water, and then, of course, in a few minutes, I was sick, and that was about all I remember from that day, because I was just hoping to survive until I got back to land. In this case, the waves are breaking, and they're coming in, okay? This is a big deal. Massive storm, boats going down, but then look at verse uh, 38. He, Jesus, was in the stern... So for those that are like me and don't know parts of the boat, that's the back of the boat. And he's asleep on the cushion. So there was a part of this boat that had a pillow, had a cushion. And Jesus is laying down in the midst of the storm. And it says he's asleep. <laughs> he's asleep. Now, granted, I do enjoy resting whenever it's raining outside. But that's in the comforts of my nice home, sheltered, they are in the midst of a massive storm, and Jesus is asleep. Now, there's a lot to that. First of all, Jesus is God. He's in complete control. He's not worried. He's not scared. He's not anxious. But then there's another part that you need to see from this story. Jesus was tired. You ever been tired before? So exhausted that, as Mandy would say to myself, you would sleep through anything. <laughs> Just so tired that you are not even really aware of what's going on. Jesus had been preaching and teaching all day, and for the days before, he had been healing. The crowds had gathered around him. Jesus being fully man would have been exhausted, and he's sleeping. Interesting, this is the only time in the Gospels it references Jesus sleeping, and it's during the midst of a storm. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't sleep at you know, other times. It's just ironic that this is the time when it's mentioned. Jesus is resting you know, when I thought about the humanity of Christ, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Let's not forget the Christmas story. God steps out of the glory of heaven. Jesus 
takes on flesh. Jesus was a little baby boy. Pam, just like Jameson, a little baby. He grew up. His parents took care of him. Now, granted, he was different than any other little baby in that he was fully God, but he was fully man. Think about the passages where it talks about he got thirsty. He was hungry. He wept. He was tempted. He suffered physically. All of these things are evidences of his humanity. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So here's some application. The humanity of Jesus is so important to us as Christians. Jesus is our great high priest. He's our intercessor. He's the one who knows exactly how you feel right now. He understands your struggles. Some of you this morning may be very, very tired. And maybe not just physically, maybe mentally, maybe spiritually. You're exhausted and you're struggling with whatever it is in life. I'm just telling you this morning, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. Jesus cares. Jesus is fully man. He was tempted in the flesh just as we are, yet he was without sin. It is the strength of Jesus that sustains us and gives us victory over temptation and sin. Our God, Jesus, is a merciful, gracious, faithful God. And if you're in the faith this morning, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so, Chimo, when you texted me this week of all the things that have been going on in your life and your family, Jesus knows. He understands. He doesn't promise you there won't be storms, but he promises you he'll walk through the storms of life with you. That is our God. Now, back to the story. Back in Mark 4. Think about these disciples. Many of them were professional fishermen. Okay? Even though if I was out at sea in the midst of a storm... I mean, you might as well call it because I wouldn't have a clue of what I would need to do. Well, I am sure they tried everything imaginable that they knew, all of their human methods and strategies to try to save the boat. And nothing was working. And so look at what they do there, the end of verse 38. They finally wake Jesus up. Jesus, help! Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Basically, they kind of get on to Jesus. They're rebuking Jesus. Jesus, by the way, we're dying here. The boat's going down. You're sleeping. Do you not care about what's going on? And you know what? I thought about myself, and maybe this fits you too. Sometimes we do the same thing. God, nobody really cares about me. God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? God, where were you at? Why didn't you do something? 
God, where are you? Do you care? I don't know. Do you guys ever have those conversations with God of where just the sinfulness of our hearts, we're struggling? I mean, I'll, I'll raise my hand. But I, I've had to do a lot of repenting. God, please forgive me for doubting your goodness and your faithfulness. That's what's going on with these disciples. They're just immature in their faith and they're struggling. And in their case, they're thinking they're going to die. And so they finally go to Jesus. They probably at this point, they don't know that Jesus can calm the storm, calm the sea, but they know they need Jesus in some way, shape, or form. So here's some application. The presence of Jesus, because by the way, he was in the boat with them, in our lives does not mean smooth sailing. You need to understand that. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean life will be easy. God causes and allows storms in our lives. What he does promise is to be with us in the midst of the storm. The question then always becomes, will we trust him in the midst of whatever the storm is? Will we choose faith in Christ and who he is? Or will we give in to fear because of our circumstances? This really was about growing the disciples in their faith and understanding of who Jesus was. That, that's what's about to happen in the story. John Phillips, biblical commentator, not related to myself, as far as I know. Amy, I know you said you had the genetic test thing or whatever, so maybe he's way back there. <laughs> but anyway, John Phillips says this, Believers are not exempt from sickness, poverty, natural disasters, bereavement, death, and various ills in life. What he promises is not protection from the storm, but his presence in the storm. Hey, there's a lot of false teaching out there that, hey, if you're following Jesus, you're going to prosper, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy. It's not what the Bible says. So, Jesus is a missionary. Jesus is a man. He sympathizes with our struggles and our weaknesses. But now we need to see the third truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Look at verse 39. And he awoke. So they're, they're stirring Jesus. He wakes up. And what does he do? He rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, peace, be still. And what does all that mean? Basically, Jesus wakes up and he does what only God can do. When he rebuked the wind, it literally means he put a muzzle on it. Just like that, the wind stopped. He tells the sea, peace. Simply be silent, be quiet, be still, be put to silence. And you know what happens? The wind immediately ceases and there's a great calm in the sea. The sea becomes like glass. Now, I have been around enough boats and been around enough water that when the wind's blowing and the waves are kicking up, even if the wind stops, what's going to continue to happen? The waves are still going to be 
crashing and thrashing about for a period of time. But you need to understand in this passage, because Jesus is God, the wind stopped immediately and the waves stopped immediately. There was a great calm. Only Jesus can do that. Sorry to Kenneth Copeland who said he blew out the COVID virus through the power of his words. He's a false teacher. He didn't blow it out. He doesn't have the power to blow it out. Only Jesus has the power to speak things into existence and to control nature and creation. So again, if you hear teachers out there teaching that kind of stuff, you need to understand that's false doctrine. It's false teaching. And American culture is eat up with it. So be careful. Jesus is God. Jesus is sovereign over the weather. I mean, think about it. Jim Katori, the face of the Weather Channel, he was about to show up, right? There's going to be bad weather. There's this massive tropical storm, this hurricane that's coming, and he's on his way, like he's probably on his way to Florida right now or whatever. You know, I haven't been keeping up with it closely. But before he gets there, well, Jim, you can go back home because it's over. It's over. Think about that. That's our God. Just like that. The storm is over. Psalms 107. Let's turn there real quick. Psalms 107. starting in verse 23 through 32. This is a really cool psalm of just God taking care of his people as they're coming back from exile in the midst of their struggles, God's faithfulness. And there's a section in here that talks about sailors, 23 through 32. And let me just read it because you're going to see that God is sovereign over the weather. And so when we see Jesus being sovereign over the weather, we understand he's God. Psalms 107, 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind. So God brings the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They were scared. They reeled. They staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He, God, made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the, in the assembly of the elders. That is our God, and we should do the same today of extolling and praising him for who he is. Only God can control the weather. Jesus is showing us his control over the weather in this passage. Therefore, this is a little bit of math, logic, geometry, proof, if you like it that way. Jesus is God. 
That's what we see in this passage. Now, let's go to the last truth. Not only is Jesus a missionary, fully man, fully God, Jesus, the fourth truth is he is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Let's look at verses 40 and 41. So after this great calm, after Jesus speaks, he then says to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So initially, the disciples were questioning Jesus. Do you not care that we are perishing? And now Jesus has a question for them. Why are you so afraid? And that word for fear there is talking about being timid or being cowardly. You have no faith. Where's your faith? Why are you not trusting me? I thought of it this way. Disciples, after all that you've seen me do, do you still not believe? Do you not trust me? I've taught you with authority. I've cast out demons. I've healed the sick. I've got the power to forgive sin. You see me forgive the sin of the paralytic man. Do you not think I'm going to protect you in the midst of a storm? Maybe for some of us here today, we need to hear those same words. Because maybe we're not trusting Christ in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing. And maybe we have a lack of faith in the midst of whatever the storm is that we're going through. So then in verse 41, after Jesus confronts them of their lack of faith and their fear and their circumstances, verse 41, they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, you need to understand, this is a different kind of fear. It's a different Greek word. They're no longer scared of the storm. They are now in fear or in awe of being in the presence of God. When they say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They are understanding Jesus is not some mere man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. They are in the presence of greatness. God's growing them in their faith. I thought of it this way. When you get a glimpse of the glory and the power of God there's going to be great fear. What happened to Job whenever God revealed himself to him at the end of the book of Job? Well, here's what Job said. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job understood how great of a sinner he was and how holy he was. God was. Or how about Isaiah in the throne room of God in Isaiah 6? He says this, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Isaiah's the same response. He realizes, I am a sinful, wicked man, and God, you are pure, you are holy, you are righteous, and I surely don't deserve to be in your presence right now. I feel about like this, and you're like this. God, you, you are Lord. You're almighty. And so that's what these disciples were feeling. Whoa. Only God could do what just happened. And we're in the presence of God now. There's this fear of the awesomeness of God. And I want you to understand, let me say this real clear. That is a really good thing. Because you see, when you understand how sinful you are, and you understand how great and holy God is, that's when salvation happens. Because then you're going to repent by God's grace, and you understand there's only one that can save you from your sin, and it's God himself. In a sense, God is saving us from himself, of his judgment and his holiness, and that Christ took our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That's God's love. It's his grace. It's his mercy. The majesty and power and authority of God is something that will bring you to an end of yourself. When we fear God, we don't need to fear anything else. Our God is a God who loves and cares for his people. Psalms 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, let's bring this to make it very personal. The same God who delivered these disciples from this storm that was a massive storm they're on the verge of death jesus speaks all goes calm the same jesus can handle anything that you are going through in your life right now i can tell you that with 100 percent assurance you can trust him jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is faithful. Some personal application. Sometimes we struggle financially, don't we? And we forget how God has provided for us so many times. I mean, I've been there. God, I don't know. What are we going to do? And then God shows up and provides. Every time, Robert, every time. That's our God. Or maybe somebody hurts us and we feel unloved and we just think, well, nobody cares, nobody loves. And we forget how much God loves us and that God gave Christ to save us. We fear failure. And by the way, all these I'm about to mention are all fears that I struggle with. So you can pray for me as I give you this list. And maybe you fit into this list somewhere too. We fear failure. We fear rejection. We fear letting people down. We fear not being wanted or accepted by others. We have a fear of heights. We have a fear of needles. We have a fear of blood. We may have a fear of our kids rejecting Christ. We may have a fear of getting COVID. 
fear of death. Fear is a really real thing. We all, to some extent, struggle with worry, anxiety, and fear. If we didn't, Jesus would have never said in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, three different times, do not worry or do not be anxious. He said it three times, the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because we struggle. I have struggled with fears this week. And I've had to constantly go before the Lord. God help me with my unbelief, my sinfulness. Because let me say that too. When we choose to worry and to be anxious, we're sinning against God because we're not trusting his character. We're not trusting who he is, that Jesus is trustworthy. And by the way, let me say this, because I know with COVID, it's such a struggle. It's like this dark cloud that just kind of just keeps hanging. At the end of the day, guys, for us as Christians, self-preservation is not the goal. It's not. I mean, yeah, we use wisdom, means to take care of ourselves. But for the Christian, self-preservation is not the goal with anything in life. What's our goal? To glorify God by advancing his kingdom. We can't live in a spirit of fear but of love and power and a sound mind. Perfect love casts out all fear. I mean, just practically, if somebody had COVID and you know, they're about to die, oh, I'm sorry, but I can't share the gospel with you because you have COVID. I might get COVID. So therefore, sorry, but I hope everything goes okay with you. Guys, as Christians, we have a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there's sacrifice in that. Sacrifice in that. The storms of life are a vital part of the sanctification process that we all must go through as Christians. The same God who is in control of the weather and saved the disciples that day out at sea is the same God who's in control of your life. And he will take care of you regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in. May we remember this morning that Jesus is a missionary. May we remember this morning that Jesus is a man and he understands who you are and what you're going through. May we remember this morning that Jesus is God. He has all power and all authority. And Jesus is trustworthy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your power. We're needy people, God. This passage reminds us the disciples were hopeless. They were helpless. They were going to die in the midst of that storm, and there was nothing they could do about it. But then, Jesus, they went to you, and you calmed the sea. You calmed the storm. God, would you help us this morning with our unbelief 
so many times in my own heart and life, God, I try to figure it out on my own and I use every means and method I can think of and I fall flat on my face and then finally, by your mercy and your grace, I cry out, God, I need you. Help me. And God, you're always faithful. You're always good. You're always kind to your people. So Lord, you know the hearts of your people this morning. I pray that they would cry out to you. Instead of giving in to fear and worry and anxiety, they would trust Christ in you and your faithfulness. And then Father, for any that are still dead in sin today, God, would you grant salvation that they would see Jesus, you are the Savior, and they would repent, and they would believe Christ in you today and be saved. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Well, let's stand, and let's worship our Lord through song. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Let's sing, I Surrender All Together. <laughs> 